0: Welcome from Zero to Hero, I'm Craig from Inspired Mindset, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. Hey, it's Craig from Inspired Mindset, we're doing the podcast Zero to Hero, all things mental health and addiction. So we have the lovely Hilary Charman, all the way from England. Uh, welcome and thanks for joining us today Hillary.
1: Yes you're very welcome.
0: So I thought we'd get um, we'll get dive straight into it and um, talk all things mental health and addictions and I just what I always ask the, for all the guests is that um, how was your childhood? Did you have a traumatic childhood or did you have a loving childhood?
1: Um, I, I didn't have a typical childhood of, of- an addict. So, I mean, normally you, you find a lot of trauma, don't you, or lot of, um, you know, abuse and all sorts of things. Um, my mother died when I was very little. I came from um, a sort of upper middle class, I'd, I suppose you'd call it family. My dad remarried and I had a lot of problems with my stepmother. I think now I'm, I'm being assessed for... Um, ASD, which is a uh, autism spectrum disorder, um, because I, I found I found it very difficult to to I don't know get not get on with people. But I, I found just just life I didn't seem to fit in, and um, I didn't really understand people. I was very trusting, and um, I, I found it hard to socialise. I think, and that was picked up in school. So I always kind of felt the odd one out. Yeah. And I was yeah, unhappy at home, didn't get on with my step. Yeah.
0: So your your mother passed away sadly at an early age and you went with the um you had your stepmother. What type of problems w- were they, if you recall?
1: She just she just wasn't very kind. Um she was abusive to my father. I remember being upstairs and just shaking while I could hear a screaming at him and hissing him downstairs. Um when I was quite little she told me that um, my mother who died of cancer she said that she wasn't supposed to have children but she only she carried on with my pregnancy because uh, my dad wanted a boy so much so that obviously that made me feel like um, I shouldn't have been born really um, and that I wasn't wanted Uh, so yeah she, she just she didn't she wasn't really maternal in any way and my dad I'd been very close to my dad, but when he remarried my stepmother, he kind of passed all the care onto her and didn't really stick up for me in any way. So I didn't know. I felt kind of rejected and sad, a lot of sadness. I feel, I feel that that was like a huge thing. Well, I know it was, I just felt really, really sad as a child. Um, And yeah, I got deeply depressed, um, reached sort of teenagehood and, um, I I tried to kill myself when I was fourteen. Didn't tell any of my my family never knew, but obviously I survived. <laughs> um, and that that came a recurring became a recurring thing. Attempted suicide throughout my younger years, and and just that overwhelming feeling of sadness, really.
0: Yeah, that must have been so difficult with the uh, stepmother behaving in that manner. And um, yeah, I think most of us we would be feeling like that. And you mentioned before with the autism, that would have been uh, – uh, how do you explain autism? How, how would that feel to you?
1: Well, it's, it's different for everybody. Um, for me, just feeling everything so much, feeling everything in such intensity. So um, either three feeling things a 100 um, – that's how, how I describe it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And just and and being, just not having a side to me. So being totally honest and open, and so not understanding when other people are not honest, and just believing everything people tell you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and I imagine that puts you in some vulnerable positions. I guess I'm assuming throughout your life.
1: Very, very, very vulnerable positions, and and total overwhelm uh, all the time. Just feeling overwhelmed. Um, having a meltdown every now and then. So I'd just start crying. I'd get overwhelmed and then I'd be tearful and then I'd be told you're doing it for attention, which is absolutely not what I, I didn't like attention. (laughs) So then I felt I wasn't allowed to cry. And then you, you know, you internalize everything and, and it just makes everything worse really.
0: And, And I think, uh, around that era, like when we were growing up, um, Children were meant to be seen, not heard, and you know, you keep your feelings to yourself. Yeah, it gets hard. You you bottle up all these emotions and I didn't know how to express them properly until I was uh, till recently, really. And you've had a similar experience by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's yeah, I'm still learning to to express emotions. I still find it difficult and I still try not to think about things, you know, yeah. put it away. But uh I'm learning that it's better to to Really, sort of feel those feelings and and just express them if you can, rather than bottling everything up. Yeah. It's a, it's an on, it's an ongoing process, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. Oh. Every day is like a new learning and um, experience. But a good thing is too. It's exciting once you get that mindset that you want to learn and grow and open. Um, each day is like a, a blessing and and uh, learning new techniques and tools to, to address. Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. It's-
1: yeah, I love it. I love it. So um all the all the different things. I'm learning EFT at the moment, which is um, I don't know if I use it with clients, but I, I like to use it on myself. Um, that's the tapping. Do you do you ever use EFT?
0: Uh yeah, yeah. I recently yeah. discovered that and it's um yeah, quite a good little um a tool to
1: use just to bring yourself So it's, it's amazing, yeah, it's amazing because it, it looks so silly, doesn't it? <laughs> but-
0: <laughs> yeah, tap it away. <laughs>
1: But it's so uh, powerful. And I love it. Yep. Absolutely. I was doing it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> when I was nervous, I was tapping away. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: good on you. <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go back to a little bit when you talked about the suicide ideology and suicide attempts. What age was the first time that that occurred?
1: Um, I was 14.
0: That's 14, yeah. In that moment, can you describe or do you, can you remember? what you were feeling or what was going through your mindset at this, at this point of time, how was it to you? Was it a, I'm just trying to get like, I've had suicide ideology and attempt and I just really fascinated how, what people think and how they feel at that time. I know it seems a bit morbid, but if you're happy to, to express
1: to the listeners, how you felt. It's just pain, you know, uh, mental, I can't really describe it as more than pain uh, sadness and just wanting it to stop and thinking that death is just oblivion—that it's just, yeah, just, just—I mm-hmm. didn't believe in the afterlife or anything like that. Um, I just wanted oblivion, so I just wanted everything to stop, yeah. and 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 that was it really. And I remember the um, sort of anticlimax when I didn't die, <laughs> just thinking, <laughs> you know. Oh damn! <laughs> it didn't work. Sort yeah. of thing.
0: and yeah. I shouldn't laugh about it, but you know it's. it's... Yeah, it's it, it can be it's a taboo subject, but um, I don't know I, I think it's healthy to talk about it, and um, many people go through a similar experience, and um, and just that people may be in that mindset frame like to reach out, and you know we do get over it, and we do become stronger. Um, but yeah it is, it is certainly a, a morbid uh, topic so how long did that go on for, did, would that continue for your um, teenage years
1: yeah it went on till I was about till I was about 23 22 23 and then um, with my daughter i had a daughter i i could never do it mm-hmm. because I had children you know i'd never put them through that uh, feeling of the i their mother didn't love them enough to to try and stay alive,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely that's, really yeah.
1: if you like, um although saying that, I probably did that anyway taking taking her in for years, but I just yep. I just the other thing I want to say about the suicide attempts is that people say talk to somebody, I would never have talked to somebody mm-hmm. because I knew if I talked to somebody, they would have tried to stop me, yeah, yeah, um, and I didn't want them to stop me, so i feel we need to find a different way to speak to people than just say talk to someone
0: because no that's a very good point when you're you're in that
1: you know or or maybe they've got to talk to somebody before they get to that point but some people i i just i couldn't talk to people i i couldn't focalize what i was feeling Mm -hmm. because it was a feeling really it wasn't I didn't have any reasons for it as far as I knew. It was just all feelings, overwhelming feelings. Um and and I wasn't mature enough to be able to work out why I was feeling that way. So yes, we we need to find different ways to talk to teenagers as well, especially I think.
0: Yeah, you raised some good points there and some um a different point of view, and uh yeah, that's some, some gold in there. So you go you go into school. Um, you're finding it a little bit hard to fit in. What was your so- social life in your teenage years at school and after after school? How was that going?
1: Oh, well, at school, i had been identified. They they knew there was something wrong with me. They they'd um, contacted my parents and said that I was lethargic and apathetic, and that I spoke in a monotone, and uh, I couldn't. I didn't really associate with others, socialize with the other students. Um, my parents had tried to take me to a psychiatrist, but I I just stopped going. Um, I discovered alcohol when I was 13. I thought it was like the best thing in the world. <laughs> I can't really, um, just yeah. made me feel amazing. I loved it. And then at 14 I discovered glue sniffing. I don't I don't know if there was a a big thing of I don't know if people did that in Australia glue sniffing back in the 80s but it was yeah. a huge huge thing in in England and I, I became a compulsive glue sniffer which uh, obviously didn't help my mental health um, and then moved on you know through all the usual drugs uh, weed and um, LSD and etc yep. and yep. Um, well not finally Moving on to, when I left home, I, I went to um, a place called Bournemouth in Bedsitland. you know, living in a little room. And the, there wasn't many jobs in those days. So I didn't really have a job. Well, I didn't have a job. Uh, I was hanging out with all the punk rockers and uh, got heavily into um, injecting speed, which I loved. I loved amphetamines, mm-hmm. but ended up with quite bad psychosis. So,
0: so yeah. that wasn't great either. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like similar to you where um, after a couple of years, yeah, I, I had a bit of a psychosis myself and uh, it's not a very good place to be. But um, no. but as soon as I, I took that drug, it was like the instant, like where have you been all my life? It made me feel yes. good. Um, yeah, confidence, um, energy.
1: Yes, I feel I'm, I'm a bit wary here. I'm a bit wary here of, of um, encouraging people to take amphetamines because
0: oh, yes. obviously,
1: um, especially for somebody like me, because I, I really feel feel feelings. So the highs are always higher and the lows are always lower, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I have been reading some stuff. I don't know if you have as well um, about the addicts might be born with less um serotonin or ability to make so much serotonin so we we can't com- our bodies compensate by making more receptors mm-hmm. and that means that whenever we have a drug or even some foods or caffeine or um any any of those things that boost your serotonin level sex, i guess uh, we get we feel it so much more but that means we also feel the lows yeah. so much more yeah. um, so that that causes us to do it again to make to make us feel good, and so that's how we end up uh, as addicts, if you like. Yeah, that,
0: that makes complete sense. Um, it makes complete sense
1: to me. It was like a light bulb moment, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Combined, yes. obviously, with your your childhood experiences and and how you, you know everything, but yeah, yeah.
0: The, the bad thing is though, it's good for a little while um, until it comes that habit and and then before you know it um you're needing like twice as much as you used to have just to get the same feeling and then you just try then you're just having it just to try and feel normal like you don't i got to a point and i'm I'm sure many other people have where you didn't even get a hit out of it if you know what i mean did you did you experience that you needed more and then again less of an effect of the drug
1: i I didn't really experience that with um amphetamines but i well yeah i did actually it was the it would be the first hit was just to make you feel normal and the next hit would yep. be to get high um it's more with more with heroin isn't it that you really feel that that you just just taking it so you don't feel ill really mm-hmm. um, so
0: how how long did the at um the amphetamine addiction last for
1: It's only a couple of years probably the sort of intense intense addiction that i think some some drugs you can only take for a short amount of time before you kind of burn out don't you or you you'll go crazy <laughs> it was the same with the glue i got in such a such a um well not just glue, just solvent abuse um, you, there's a kind of limited time you can do it before it your brain just starts giving you all sorts of warnings doesn't it like yeah, your yes. body starts falling apart or whatever yeah. um, and unlike heroin, which you can take for years and years and years and people rarely get out of the habit, um, mm-hmm. at least for 10 years, do they? I, I, I don't know many people that have stopped before sort of 10 years. Personally. Yeah,
0: it, it seems that type of uh, time frame. So so you stop the amphetamines and then you, you come across heroin? Is that how it kind of
1: panned out for you? Right. I left the area, I left Bournemouth where I lived to get away from the drugs and I moved to a nice little country town called Dorchester in Dorset, England, um, where there wasn't really very many drugs. And every two weeks for a little while, I'd go back to Bournemouth and just have a bit of a binge and then come home again and be all right for, for another few weeks. And then I met somebody and I had my daughter, so I stopped using for two years and then split up with her dad. And um, an ex boyfriend from Bournemouth came up to Dorchester to stay and brought his friends with him. And they ended up, he ended up living with me. And a year later, I was back into using, you know, needles again. And that just progressed into heroin. Yeah.
0: So, and what happened to your life during that period? How long were you using heroin for?
1: 23 years.
0: Okay. And had how, how, how was your lifestyle what was a, a normal day for Hillary back then was well, it
1: daily? I, was, I was I was quite lucky because in England we have or, or we did have I'm not sure how it works now. Um, I was put on a methadone script I went and got, I got methadone script a long-term methadone script so I, I had I ended up I had three children well I've got four children but. Back in the day, I had sort of three children. I was a single mum, and I would wake up and because I was lucky enough to have a methadone script, I didn't have to go out looking for her and you know i i I was together enough to look after my kids to get them to school to make sure they were fed and it kept me relatively stable, but at the same time i was it was kind of the the methadone was keeping me well physically. Was just letting me be well enough physically, but the heroin I was still using for the kind of mental thing. So I was using heroin daily as well as my methadone, but I was also drinking daily and I was on antidepressants and sleeping tablets and, you know, the whole, all of everything. Um, So basically a day in my life, you get the kids off to school and then go and find the money to score and come back and do the heroin and go and get some alcohol. (laughs) Um, It was just really just numbing everything. So I didn't feel, I was so overwhelmed. I was a single mum at the time. And I just didn't feel like a grown up. I just felt like a child that had been given these children to look after and bills to pay. And I just didn't feel capable of doing any of it and it was just numbing the fear and the overwhelm and the, the depression just trying to block everything out really and then and wanting to get well desperately when I was always reading self-help books as well I used to read constantly I'd read as I was walking along the road because it would stop me thinking and I couldn't I didn't like thinking thinking I, I just hated myself and I was so full of shame yeah and and where we lived, people weren't very kind. they knew that I was an addict, and they they kind of despised me, and they weren't very kind, so that made me feel even worse so i know I never made eye contact with anyone and um but I just desperately wanted to get better, but I didn't know how I didn't have the tools how to do it yeah
0: yeah and that's a yeah that's a big problem, and also you mentioned like um people looking down with addictions um, here in Australia there's still that um, stigma attached to it so it makes when you go after that addiction it makes you feel less likely to going to get help because you you just reinforce what society's already telling you that you're a loser that you're a druggo and it's uh, quite a shame because a person that's able to get through their addiction turns out to be a, a pretty impressive human being you know they've learned a lot they've survived a lot. And they're, and they're always, their hearts are open and willing to help someone else. So it's a shame that we're, um, we're still stigma, stigmatizing people that are using, that are addicted to drugs that can't get off at the present time.
1: Yeah, it seems like people love, all celebrate somebody that's recovered from addiction, but they're not willing to help somebody who's in addiction um, or be kind to them, particularly. And it, it is really sad there's not enough help out there people seem to think it's it's easy to get help and it's not it's really hard as you know or proper effective help um yeah. you can of, you can often get uh, over here anyway you can usually get a, a script to help you but to get you really need therapy of some kind yeah. usually um yeah. well there's aa and na isn't there and ca and that sort of thing but there's not much else really
0: no it's it's kind of limited i know here um unless you go to a rehab or you're just hanging out with dnas and aas it it is very limited to like instead of using the good tools like hypnotherapy or nlp or really good tools the how long before you get got off the heroin how, how long how many attempts did it take you and what was the final straw that you could you said fuck it today I'm giving I'm giving up. I'm going to change my life.
1: I can't even I can't even remember how many times how I tried. But um I think I did uh, two or three detoxes at home on these horrendous tablets I can't remember what they're called now. I don't think they use them anymore, but they're awful. Um with while trying to look after my children at the same time and they were just it was just I can't even describe how awful it was. <laughs> but um I, I went to a mental health unit twice for ten day detoxes, but that the same was literally um, a, a detox. There was no counselling or, or anything there. In fact, all the other patients were mental health patients. I was the only detox patient, but I did really like it there because I loved chatting to the other <laughs> the other people. In there were really lovely. Um, there wasn't a final straw as such. What happened? As I say, I was trying to. I wanted to get clean. The longest I managed was six weeks, and because I hadn't dealt with anything, everything was the same. I was living in the same place, dealing with the same problems, feeling the same feelings, um, and I, I relapsed every time. But during that time, I'd gone to I'd gone to a shop locally, and there was a hypnotherapist that lives that had a, her office the next door, and she she had some cards outside. And I remember picking up one of her cards and it said that she did training, but I didn't have any money to do it. But I tucked it away. I put it somewhere safe. My dad passed away and left me a bit of money. For the first year, I I just, you know, for, for the next year, I used up this money on drugs, basically. And there was only a tiny bit left. And I thought I've got to use this for something something good that's gonna you know do something to change my life and i had a five-year-old by now and i i was in such a state i thought i kept thinking i was going to die in my sleep because my breathing was bad um my heart i was having palpitations i kept thinking i was going to have a heart attack (laughs) um and i couldn't i couldn't leave her she she needed me obviously and and the thought of dying in my sleep and my little girl finding me dead and just it just terrified me uh and I remembered the card and I I found it amazingly so I messaged her and she she said it's quite disappointed by that but because of how the internet works I've messaged her on the internet somehow I got this um advert from who this man that became my trainer, Andrew Parr, and he was offering free hypnosis classes, and um, and so I jumped at that, and and it was it was really the basics, just just explaining a bit of how our minds work and things like that, uh, right. and then I signed up for his diploma course, and and that was how I and and one of the first things I did was I went and bought a little voice recorder, and I made self hypnosis t- tape tape. And it was really based on a stop-smoking script, like an induction, a stop-smoking script, um, a Charles Tebbit's stop-smoking script, which I changed for heroin. And, and I recorded that, and I listened to it twice a day for weeks. And it was heroin after that. I was so desperate and so ready to get clean there. And I was still on my methadone. But then I, I just came off the methadone like one mil a week. too many months but and then and then of course you have all the withdrawals from parents well not the withdrawals so much as the the just the physical effects of having been on it for years so you've got all the anxiety and and just the brightness everything too bright so you can't open your eyes in the morning and having to wear sunglasses all the time and uh yeah uh just feeling feelings that I hadn't felt for years and my body just feeling weird because I didn't I just hadn't really I didn't really know I don't know just everything was so weird and brain fog terrible brain fog for about a year so I, yeah. I had to stop my course for a year because I just couldn't think straight I went to the doctors and made him test me for dementia twice because <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was just going crazy yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd go into a room and I wouldn't have a clue what I'd gone in there for and I couldn't couldn't focus on anything um it was very scary and lonely because i was very isolated you know because when you've only known addicts or your dealer really for years um and then you stop using so you can't even talk to them really <laughs> it's very lonely
0: it is it is uh, that's something i've discovered recently so i just i just
1: had my children around me
0: yep perfect perfect yeah it's a scary time it can be a scary time because you you kind of lose who you are and you think how am i going to get a how am i going to get through a whole day about using that was probably one of my scariest thoughts is how am i going to stay up all day or how am i going to do a task because i remember probably the second week like i couldn't watch tv for more than a minute my my attention span was shot yeah as you said there was a brain fog um so I, I went down to the local um, alcohol and drug counsellor session, and I said, "Look, I've got bad anxiety. I can't focus. So I've got brain fog," and they they kind of recommended going to and talk to a like a psychiatrist, which I'm glad I did. But later got diagnosed with bipolar. But um, they couldn't tell if it was the drug use over the years that had caused all this anxiety or um, the brain fog. But it does take about a year to get your head right. And um, the good thing about it is that your brain does repair, and then you're able to get back into a, you know, a more enjoyable life. How was how your mental health at the end of at the end of um, your drug use? Was that still stuck in depression and bad anxiety, or what? What was that for you?
1: I wasn't I wasn't depressed at all um I was just I was really grateful grateful for being alive you know um the other thing was I was I was quite overweight as well straight i was probably the only fat heroin I, know. <laughs> I was I was heavily over I was uh, you know about four five stone overweight um and and so I did a, a healthy eating recording as well, and over a year I'm, I lost like four and a half stones. So that that helped my health a lot. Um, my mental health is still is still an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't. I only see clients in the morning. I can't in the afternoon because my concentration still isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've had. I've had sessions with other hypnotherapists, and I've got some booked at the moment. Actually, because I've been I've been doing a course on CPTSD, and it's triggered all sorts of things in me. Um, I wanted to do that particularly so that I can work with addicts, because a lot of I think a lot of addicts have CPTSD, and it's kind of not really no, not much is known about it. Really, there's not many people that are um, qualified to deal with it.
0: Can I just jump in there? So, can you just explain to the listeners what CP, what is it? CPsD. is? I'm not sure what it is myself.
1: See, well, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. Um, CPtSD is complex complex post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. So it's so it's when multiple things have happened mm-hmm. um, to to somebody, um, and so they they start behaving in in all sorts of ways um you know like multiple maybe abuse or well generally abuse you know you know the sort of things that most addicts have in their past i don't like to generalize because because everyone's different of course but um, and also something that might traumatize one person may not traumatize another person depending on how sensitive they are or what sort of support they've got around them but yeah it's it's usually things if somebody has nobody that no one to go to that they can tell um, or nobody believes them or so they feel totally alone and they're they're left with this thing that they've got to process and they can't process it because they're not mature enough to and you kind of get stuck in that in that childhood mindset, if you like. So you don't really develop properly mentally. So you find it very difficult to do grown-up things, if you like, that we're, we're all expected to in society these days. We, there's so much expectation of people, isn't there? Um, so, yeah, so I, I've been doing a course in that, which is really interesting. So hopefully I can help more people with that
0: awesome that sounds fantastic yeah thank you for explaining that to our for our listeners self-hypnosis helped me at the start of getting clean and when i was getting out of the addiction you got clean after the year and you know you started getting stable and i assume that you had um your relationship with your children um, progress blossom from this time on so what 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 happened after that? Did you start looking for work or did you decide to do more hypnotherapy classes? What what happened during this period after the, the one year that you got clean?
1: Well, I'd had to stop doing my course during that time because I couldn't focus, although I was continuing to make recordings for myself and sort of friends. And then I I went back to the course and at the end of the following year which was 2017, I um I qualified as as a hypnotherapist. And then I rented a room and, and just started my business, which obviously it takes a little while to to build up clients, but um yeah, so I've got a, a nice little business in, in Dorchester, Dorset, England. <laughs> um, I, I see clients online and I love helping people so much it kind of fills me up you know sometimes i wonder if i love it too much
0: <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure
1: if they're helping me or i'm helping them i think it's,
0: it's, a bit of my, <laughs> yeah, it's up, yeah it's definitely a two-way street i think and um i know that you're very passionate about um addictions and um we were just chatting off uh, off air before, and you, you mentioned a great idea. Um, would you like to, about the, um, what did you want to set up, a charity? Uh, about a, a charity, uh,
1: or, yeah. Um, well, for people that can't afford to go to rehab or, or can't get the funding for rehab, a, a charity so that um, people with addictions can access therapy, for the people that can't afford it, obviously, I mean, some people, a lot of people can afford it, but but for the people, I mean, especially people, homeless people, they've usually got addictions. Just just to be able to access therapy and not necessarily hypnotherapy. There's there's some amazing therapists out there. There's that do all sorts of, of wonderful things. Um, obviously, hypnotherapy is my my passion, but I also, as I, I was saying to you. I like EFT and Havenin is a beautiful therapy. Um, some of these therapies like EFT and Havenin are, are non-content non-con- they're, they're free. So you don't actually have to talk about your past mm-hmm. so much. They work more on the feelings. So feelings, you're feeling and they, they kind of dissolve those feelings without you having to recount your really traumatic past, which I think is a, a beautiful thing to be able to do. Um, and yeah, it's not even that expensive, is it? Because if, if you think like a rehab might be a thousand pounds a week, a mm. session a week with a, with a hypnotherapist could be as little as sort of 50 pounds. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and just as valuable as, as a rehab, maybe even more so, because rehabs, you're being taken out of society and you've been put in this little safe cocoon, yeah. really away from real life and so you might be all right while you're there but as soon as you're put back in society again you've got all that same stuff to deal with so
0: yeah yeah totally totally i
1: think i think a good therapist is probably worth just as much as a week in rehab personally
0: yeah and and the good thing is too like it, it's a lot quicker once you get into that mindset that you're going to change and you're going to stop and using hypnotherapy for an example is like the it's such a quick therapy like um then going to a rehab and as you said spending three six months in a rehab then getting back out into your environment and then you, you're kind of stuck without knowing really what to do and you've got all those temptations all the all your old drug friends there so it's um yeah hypnotherapy is really good for that quick quick
1: intervention um, I was going to. I was going to say you could start up a charity, Craig, and you can employ me for your England. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Like it really, it
1: really,
0: it really, it really does have good merits.
1: Yes, please do it.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll look into it for and I'll let you know. Thank you. So, what? So, for someone that's struggling at the moment with addiction or in a bad place, what? What tip could you give them to get that that icebreaker, so to speak, just to get their feet spinning in the right direction? What what tip could you give the listeners? Oh,
1: now you're asking, aren't you? Um, what tip would you give them if you don't mind me turning
0: that around on you? I don't know. Uh, the tip um, I found beneficial was to just t- to plan out a day. Like when you're in addiction, as you know. You spend so much time wasted trying to score, try to get on, try to get money, etc. That you waste so much time, other, other garbage, really, other crap. So I I found it really helpful just to break my days in. Like, so I'd plan my day out that I was going to do, you know, a 20-minute walk. I'd read a book for a half hour. Then I had to get up and do a bit of a walk. But just playing that day, playing the day out, uh, made it very I don't know very helpful for myself just to stop the uh, stop the wheels spinning and just to kind of get a clean grip on life and where I want to head and, and having goals too, just small little goals. Like once I um I stopped, I found it very hard not working because I always work for you know twenty seven years. So just trying to find that um that goal and that bit of mindful work like even like volunteering some you know donating some of your time to charities and stuff like that I found very helpful
1: yeah goals definitely are, are really helpful um I I think my advice would have to be to find a good book on self-hypnosis if you didn't know anything about it because that's that's what saved me so um and like I said I tried to do detoxes before without the with tools and and I didn't manage it um I think one of the things we forget while we're using drugs is that or or drugs like heroin is they stop you thinking so once you once you stop taking them you've got all those thoughts in your head that i don't well i don't know if everyone does but i don't know about you but my mind never shuts up it's just a continuous chatter all the time um and and that's that's difficult to to deal with and so if if you read a good book on self-hypnosis i think that would give you a lot of tools to right. help you to help you get well basically because that's that's what we want isn't it we want to get well I, I really feel like that all those years i was ill it was like a horrible illness i don't really yep. think of addiction as a disease as such um but i i feel that i was ill <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so maybe that's a contradiction completely in terms of, uh, and hypothetically,
0: no, no. help you get well. Just getting to know the unconscious, subconscious mind, and your conscious mind, and knowing you know, all the words what we we tell ourselves that make a big difference. So that's a really good um, suggestion there. Can you tell me, Hillary, what's what's your life now that you're clean, sober? You've got a fantastic little business going. What's life? How's how's how are you feeling now? And um, yeah, what's a, what's a day for you now? Um, well,
1: it's completely different. I I I feel I, I feel proud of myself, um, which is something that I don't think I could I've ever been able to say, you know, up until the last couple of years. Um, I'm I'm sad because my dad passed away, and he never saw me get well and become a hypnotherapist. He would have been so proud of me as well, I think. My, my children I've got a good relationship with my children my little girl's 10 now my youngest and um she's doing really well and yeah I've got my business I'm learning learning new stuff all the time I love learning learning new therapies and bringing different things into my my sessions with my clients I'm working towards specializing in addictions I like to, to be alive really
0: I can, I can see the change in your world, and and you're totally right. You, your dad would be so proud of you because you are doing amazing things. And um, just hearing your story, your life story, what you've been through, and how you overcome it, it's been uh, truly inspiring listening to it. And it's so good that you've reached out and you're helping others now that are going through a similar situation that you've been through. And um, congratulations to you, Hilary, and thank you for sh- sharing your story yeah, I, today. I, I
1: it is an ongoing process uh like I was telling you earlier I do still get those those panicky feelings sometimes and and feel overwhelmed but now I know different ways to to deal with that and different techniques um and I I book a session with somebody uh to to talk it through and it's manageable now so having the having the tools isn't it i never knew what to do with those feelings and now i now i do so that's that's basically the difference
0: yeah you summed that up perfectly and um, and we're all going to get those feelings again i still get them and everyone gets them and just as you said knowing those tools uh, it's invaluable like just knowing that you can just sit down for that 5 minutes
1: absolutely grab- it's a shame you not talking.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, just knowing those, it, it, it's a lifesaver, really. It, it really is. So thank you once again. And um, where can people find you if they want to look you up or ask you any questions?
1: Um, I have a website, Um, And they can contact me on there if, they, if they'd like to talk to me about anything or book a session or anything, anything they want. <laughs>
0: okay. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Hillary.
1: You're very welcome. Bye-bye.